Last week I introduced uh, a new theme that we were beginning a series on called a spirit of generosity. A spirit of generosity and we're going to be entering into the second of the series today. And I recognize that when we talk about the term generosity, oftentimes our minds instantly run toward money. We think, oh great, the pastor's going to be preaching on money today. And uh, I hate to disappoint you, but that's not going to be the topic again. Last week, as we begin to introduce this series of generosity, and we're taking this from different passages of Luke, that Jesus begins to bring to the surface different generosities that should be present within the life of his believers and bring it to our lives in such a way that it's radically, deeply, unselfishly lived out in all of these areas of our life. And today, we're going to be talking about generosity and hospitality, generosity and hospitality. We recognize that there's a lot of different currencies that we use in our life, and, and currency is really just a, uh, a medium of exchange of value. And there are some people that don't have a problem writing out a big check to an organization and saying, here, take my money, but don't bother me because I don't have the time for you, and I don't want to be emotionally involved in this. And so what they're saying is the currency of my time and the currency of my emotional involvement is more valuable to me than the currency of my money. And so we recognize we live our lives every day in exchanging this medium of value and the currencies within our life. And today I want to talk to you about a passage of Scripture that is filled with guests and hosts and parties. Doesn't that sound good? Guests and hosts and parties. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 14. And I want to read to you verses 7 through 24 that we'll be taking our thoughts out of today. Luke 14, beginning with verse 7. When he noticed how the guest picked the places of honor at the table, he, he being Jesus, told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the place of least importance. But when you were invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host come, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all of your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But when they all alike begin to make excuses, the first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. 
Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry, and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the, blame, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant told, uh, said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Father, I pray now that you would just open the eyes of our hearts to see the truth of your word and that we'll be able to respond according to the prompting of your spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first part of our text tells us that Jesus was invited to a home of a prominent citizen and he was going for a dinner party. And then Jesus begins to speak to three different people during this particular dinner party. And in verses 7 through 11, he speaks to the guests that were there. In verses 12 through 14, he speaks to the owner of the house. And then in verses 15 to the end, if you look really closely, he's talking to us. And so let me show you what all of these things have in common. And if you have your bulletin, there's an outline there that I would encourage you just to kind of follow along. And you may want to just jot down some notes there. But the first point that I want to bring out to you is the desire to be in the inner circle. In verses 7 through 11, Jesus is talking about a relatively commonplace event at the time that we might not necessarily understand the full impact of because we are not a part of that culture. But regularly when dinner parties or parties were thrown and people were invited to come, there became this little game on part of every person that was there to try to discover, in the mind of the host, where do I fit in as most important or least important? And I have to imagine that Jesus was smiling as he's watching this game go on. He's the king of kings. They don't know it, but he's watching and he sees people who want to be self-important look around and go, oh, I'm better than them. I'm going to sit up closer to the, to the host. And, and they have their seat. And then he sees other people who, as they examine the room, recognize, well, maybe I'll sit a little bit farther away. And then the host comes in, and he sees where each of these people have determined that they are in his realm of influence. And then he changes people's seats. And it becomes a humiliating experience for those who thought too highly of themselves and an exalting experience to those who may not have thought enough of themselves. So Jesus begins to teach something that was very profound, but they would have had a deep understanding of. And he says in verse 11, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humbled themselves will be exalted. And we recognize that this principle runs all the way through the Bible but it absolutely contradicts every essence of American culture. Every essence of our culture is against this. Here's the way we know. If you go on Facebook, one of the things that you'll discover today is people like to take selfies. Ever heard of that? In fact, we're so good at it, to get better at it, we buy selfie sticks just to make ourselves look better from the angle that we have the sticks at. And then 
One of the things that you'll notice is that people, when they see somebody who's famous, will come over there and say, can I get a selfie? And they put an arm around him and they take a picture like, I've known this person forever. They put it up on the Facebook post and so that everybody that sees that picture, they hope will think more highly of them because they breathe the same air as that person for about two seconds. There is within our culture a desire to exalt ourselves by association. And so we work really hard at getting to know the right people. I took a lot of business classes when I was in college, and the idea of trying to find yourself in circles of people who could get to know you and your skills and try to open doors was something that was very popular and still is today in business circles. Because we all want to be associated with people who may be able to help us. And Jesus is suggesting that this principle of exalting yourself or you will be humbled or humbling yourself and you will be exalted has some very practical application in the areas of who we have as friends on a horizontal level. I love reading C.S. Lewis. And in the book he wrote on the four loves, he wrote this. The very condition of having friends is something that you should want or, or... uh, that you should want something besides friends. So if someone asks you, do you see the same truth I do? And your honest answer is, I don't care about that truth. I just want you to be my friend. No real friendship can arise because there would be nothing for the friendship to be based about. Those who have nothing can share nothing, and those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. What C.S. Lewis was trying to say is that there is within the heart of mankind a desire that we want to be friends with people to elevate ourselves. There are certain people that we want to be around and we want them to know us and we want them to know our names and we want to be able to tell other people that that I know them because it elevates us. And frankly, what begins to happen, and some of you have experienced this on both sides, is when you want somebody to be your friend so bad that you will completely lose all of your standards just to be around them, you'll discover that in most cases when people do that to you, you hold them at arm's length. You're going, I I don't need this person who's trying so hard. You begin to question, what are their motives? What do they want? And And you hold them at arm's length. However, Jesus said, those that approach friendships in a humble manner, that approach people with the idea of rather than I need you to know me, just approach and say, you know what? I just want to serve you. I just want to love you. I just want to meet you in your world at whatever case, if there's needs in your life. And I don't need from you anything in return. Those are the people that we become attracted to because of the humble nature that they begin to demonstrate to us. Lewis goes on to say, Many people are devoured by the desire to be a part of the small group who they think really knows the information. In other words, there's an inner circle. And how many times have we said, oh, if I only knew what they knew? He said the desire to be on the inner circle of people who you want to like you can be, uh, so that you can be affirmed by being in their circle is exactly why so many people today are lonely. Because they approach friendships for all the wrong reasons. So if you move into relationships after affirmation and acceptance and love, the less likely you are to get it. But if you move into relationships not caring what you get back, just there to serve and to love, chances are you will get affirmation and acceptance. And Jesus said, 
all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humbled themselves will be exalted. But then he brings it to another level as he's talking about basic hospitality within our life. And he moves out of the desire to be in the inner circle and he begins to talk about hospitality in the open home. And in this paragraph that he talks about in Luke 14, verses 12 to 14, Jesus says this as he's speaking to the host. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, although they cannot repay you, and you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, this is easier to understand if you understand a little bit about the historical culture of this time. The society that Jesus lived in was not meritocracy or democracy, but it was hierarchical. There was a hierarchy to everything, and everybody was constantly working to get higher and higher in society. And so the way that hospitality was designed in biblical times was you invited people over to your house if they could get you something. They accepted the invitation to come to your house if they could get something from you. And so you begin to wonder just how shallow were all of their friendships if everybody was trying to get something. So everybody that you became acquainted with were trying to get to a higher structure within this class and that the people at the top were willing to associate with people that were a little bit lower because they knew that there were times when they could get something done at that level that they may not be able to get done here or I want to do it but I don't want my name associated with it so if I know people in the lower classes they can help me and then I can help raise them and so that was what the hospitality nature was about in the times of Jesus basically you scratch my back I'll scratch yours but everything had to do with something that was mutually beneficial and how was all this done? How were these alliances made? And, and, and how did all this come about? It came about through what they considered hospitality of having people over at the house. So you brought them in. If they accepted your invitation, you knew then that they were coming for the purpose of either you elevating them or they elevating you. And you knew you were going to get an invite back and suddenly you became part of that circle. So that was the mindset. It was called the patronage system. Completely quid pro quo. You invite them, and they invite you back, and you work the network. And so Jesus, when he makes this statement about inviting people to your house that can't do anything for your social status, trashes their system. Just trashes it. And when he says these words, don't invite friends, brothers, or relatives into your home, this is an exaggeration because it's, it's called an idiomatic semantic expression. In other words, if any of you become followers of Jesus Christ today, and I trust that there will be some of you, do not go back home and say, I've accepted Jesus today. I can no longer have my mother, my father, my brother, sisters, anybody over to the house. They will wonder what kind of church you're a part of. <coughs> That's not what this is about. Do you remember when Jesus spoke in his word and he said that you must hate your father and mother and follow me? You remember that? That was also an idiomatic expression. And the way that we would assign that would be like you and I today, if we're mad at somebody saying, I was so mad at them, I could kill them. Now, we all who are reasonable people would recognize that that doesn't mean that we are making plans to murder everybody we're mad at. We understand that to be an expression of our time. So what Jesus was saying in this, in this way about 
not inviting brothers and sisters or hating mom and dad was the love that you have for me should be so high and so strong and so evident that by comparison, everything else should look like hate. By comparison to your commitment to me and your love for me, everything else just can't hold a candle to that. That's what Jesus was saying here. And so when he says to them that you should prefer to bring people into your home that can't pay you back, their system is going, why would I do that? What will I get out of it if I'm inviting people into my house that can't elevate me? And he's going, that's where the real joy and blessing begins to settle in. Because if you bless those that can't add value to your life, then there's something eternal that's taking place. And so Jesus is saying, I'm calling my disciples, my followers, to practice gospel hospitality, Christian hospitality, which is at a radically different and deeper level than anything that you have seen to this point. It's completely different when you follow me. Now, interestingly enough, the word hospitality does not show up within this particular passage of Scripture, but it's laced throughout Scripture. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, he says, practice hospitality. How many of you know that you practice things that you want to get better at? And so some of you go, I'm, I'm a lousy host. Then practice. Well, what if I'm still a lousy host? Then you'll be better practiced at being a lousy host. And, <laughs> and your friends will tell you, hey, can I tell you something that might improve? If you take your dirty underwear off your living room chair, people <laughs> might feel a little more comfortable coming to your house. Just some little things you pick up here and there. <laughs> and the, one of the reasons that we don't see this hospitality as a big, big deal is because the English word for hospitality has such a wimpy meaning in comparison to what it really means when it was written out in their original Greek language in the New Testament. Because when we think of hospitality, we think of what? Entertaining people. If we're going to be hospitable, we're entertaining Here's what hospitality means from the word that it's written in original Greek. Hospitality is welcoming people into your living space, treating strangers as family so that God can turn some of them into friends. Ooh, that's not so wimpy. In fact, that's kind of deep. So let me break that down into three parts for you real quick. The first is this, welcoming people into your living space. Now, the first thing that comes to our mind when we begin to think about inviting people into our living space is, Pastor, if you saw my living space, we couldn't get more than two or three people in my living space. It's relatively small. And so the idea that many people begin to excuse, well, I can't have people into my home. I don't have the ability. I don't have the room. And I want you to understand that your home is only one part of your living space. I believe there's a much broader intent here from the Lord saying, there are certain places that we go that we just feel at home. There are things that we do, and, and so home is not just a building enclosure, but home is a shelter from the stormy blast. Home is a place where, where when you're out there, you're drained, but when you come into home, you're rejuvenated. Home is a place you relax and you recharge your batteries. Therefore, home is a place of warmth and of comfort and of nourishment and of food and of rest. And as much as is possible, home is a place of order and beauty that can reflect your personal style. But if you're a married man, you've given up the responsibilities of having any personal style, and it will reflect your wives. 
But there is a sense when you walk into your house and walk into places that you're familiar with, you walk in and you just stop and you're going, a peace. And Jesus is saying those who practice radical generosity recognizes that those are the places that we need to be inviting people in with us. The places we feel at home. Can I just say this? I hope you feel at home in this church. I hope you feel so at home here and so comfortable here. And when you walk in, you can just take a deep breath and go, this is my home church. That you'll invite people into your home. Because when you do that, it opens up opportunities for you to have influence in their life and for them to hear some really, really important things. I, there's, a, there's a restaurant that I like to go to and have breakfast. There's several of us that go there so, so often that um, the owner and his wife, they don't even give me a menu anymore because they, I order the same thing every time I go there. I walk in and, and Faye goes, hey, Pastor Doug, I'll bring over your pancake and your side order of ham, your large glass of milk and your coffee. It'll be right there. My wife says I'm boring. I say I'm consistent. Big, big difference. <laughs> big difference. But I go there, and it, there's a sense of being home. I'm, just, I'm comfortable there. And so the idea of finding places in your life. Now, you may be college students, and you have a dorm room, and you say, I don't have a lot of room to invite people over. Find something that is homey to you and open the doors to that so that they can come into your life through those homey-feeling places. Now, here's what you need to know. Hospitality can be expensive. And I'm not just talking about money. Because the currencies that are required to do hospitality means that you have to put in the time. I would say that for the most people, time is the hardest currency to find. You also have to be able to put in the emotional investment to be present when you invite people. And sometimes it's going to cost you money. But you know what? Most of the people that would respond to your hospitality, money is the least part of their worries. They just want to be with you. So when people move to Syracuse, this can be an intimidating place, especially if you move here from the south. And Jesus is saying that living generously in Christian hospitality and gospel hospitality is, is taking strangers and inviting them into your living space and introducing them to those whom you consider to be like family so that they can be welcome there also and refresh them with the very thing that refreshes you. That's the first thing that hospitality is, welcoming people into your living space. The second one is this, welcome strangers into your place. Now, some of you are going, okay, I was with you till then. I've been raised my whole life to stay away from strangers. I understand that. However, when God is in something, when God is directing and guiding, amazing things can begin to happen. In fact, it's not just welcoming strangers that's encapsulated within this thought in scriptures. It's loving strangers. Not a tolerance of strangers, but a love of strangers. And so hospitality is welcoming them into the living space that you find comfort in, welcoming them into the heart of your life. And the attitude that we are to demonstrate is an open door. Welcome, welcome. Not opening the door one crack and looking out and say, don't know you, don't like you, you don't even look good. <laughs> so what kind of strangers are there in our world? They're strangers in the church. 
You know, we're at a point now where if you don't come to the first service, you don't know the congregation that's there. And I take roll from up here because you all sit in the same areas every week. <clears throat> and so if your seats are empty, I know you're not here. Where are you? The other part of that, and I watched that this morning, is during our five-minute meet-and-greet, you become very provincial about where you will go. I'm sorry, I don't go to that side of the sanctuary. There are people over here you don't know. They're strange-ers. Which is why we're always asking, would you please first look for those that you may not know? We're not good at that yet. Because I see a lot of people that you greet every week that you start with. And then we have a small group of people that don't like to greet anybody that goes to the bathroom. <laughs> but one of the strangers are those that are strangers in our own congregation. The second stranger that would be included within this biblically would be your neighbors where you live. Neighbors in your workplace. For those of you that work out, neighbors in your gym. For those of us that don't, neighbors in our restaurants. People that we see with regularity. And we need to practice hospitality with them because most of your neighbors will not share your belief system at all. But Jesus did this all the time. He constantly went in places that nobody would have expected him and developed friendships from strangers. I'm still trying to figure out how the epitome of righteousness can go into the homes of sinners and they have a party. And all the righteous people stand across the street with, with pickets saying how bad Jesus is for going in there and then when Jesus comes out, they want to follow him. Oh, if we could only figure that out as a church that there's this aspect of biblical gospel hospitality that means that we don't just hang out with each other, but we find our neighbors. And here's the interesting thing about that. Why did Jesus go to places where he knew that people weren't like him? Because Jesus knew that more people that are not like him will be loved toward belief than they will be argued toward belief or as sad as I am to say this, will even be preached toward belief. They will be loved toward belief. And then within this idea of strangers is the idea of having hospitality toward needy people. How interesting that today is the day that we announce the shoeboxes that we're going to have for needy kids around the world, or the fact that our own schools are calling us, which, by the way, is a miracle. Hallelujah that they know out of all of the churches in town, let's call Grace because they know that we will respond and provide snacks for kids that don't have them. And that the homeless within our community are going to be greeted with a package of things that they need as we just love them knowing they can't do a thing for us. Because Jesus said that's gospel hospitality. And why do we do that? Why do we invite them into our homes? Why do we touch the lives of strangers because some of them will turn into friends. If you invite strangers into your living place and you treat them like family, you will discover that 
some of them will be unbelievably close friends for the rest of your life that you would have never known had you not obeyed God. We have a tendency to choose our own friends. And frankly, some of you are not very good at it. But if you do generous hospitality and you bring those strange Christians in and you bring those neighbors in and you bring the colleagues in, you will discover that God is really the host in anything that you do in Christian hospitality. He's designed this for a purpose. And since God is the real host, sometimes he'll do amazing things and turn some of those strangers that you treat as family into friends that will be closer than family in the future. And this is what he says about this in Hebrews 13 too. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for in doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now, what he is referencing here is Genesis chapter 18 when Abraham had three travelers that came by his camp and he invites them in, he feeds them, he fellowships with them, he talks about it, and little did he know at that time that one of them was God and two others were angels. I believe that there have been times when angels have intersected our lives, that we may have been completely unaware of at the time. There have been things that have happened in my life and in the lives of others. Somebody shows up at just the right time, the right place, and you never see them, and you're going, what was that? And there it is. What it means to be hospitable, welcoming people into your living space, treating strangers as family so that God can turn some of them into friends. C.S. Lewis says this, for a Christian, strictly speaking, there are no such things as coincidences. There's a secret master of ceremonies always at work. Christ who says to his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every one of us here this morning, you have not chosen one another, I have chosen one another for you. God does the choosing of who our friends are when we open the door to biblical gospel hospitality. And then there's this last section of this passage of Scripture. It's called the pauper's feast. In fact, in verse 15, it said, When one of those that was at the table heard Jesus talking, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at this feast in the kingdom of God. Now, we know that the ultimate feast is going to take place in heaven. Some call it the marriage supper of the Lamb. I happen to believe we're going to be having banquets all the time. But we know that there's something that's being prepared for us when all of the death and all of the suffering go away and God spreads the table and he invites everybody to the feast and this man who is quoted obviously feels like he's going to be there for this. And Jesus said, well, since you bring it up, let's talk about that for a minute. And Jesus tells another story. And it's the story about a man who throws a big banquet. And if you look closely, you'll recognize that the man that he's talking about is God. And so Jesus says that God invited a bunch of people and some of them won't come. And you look at the people who won't come, and it's the first. He says, I'm sorry, I've just purchased land. I'm more concerned about my possessions than I am attending your banquet. And the second one is a successful person who has just purchased oxen, and he needs to see them to see if they can really turn him a prophet. And 
So he says, I'm sorry, you're going to have to excuse me. I can't come to your banquet. And the third one just got married, and that's great, you know. But what they have in common is this. They are all too successful to need Jesus' salvation. That's another thing that can be uniquely cultural for us as Americans. We work our whole lives and through our whole education system and all of the goals that we set to be so successful that I don't need God. That I will have accumulated enough stuff, and we will talk about this as we get later on into this series, I will have accumulated enough stuff that I can provide my own security. And so when the invitation to the banquet to join the Lord comes, we'll say, I'm sorry, I've got other priorities than you. I'm too successful for your salvation. They're too busy for God. So who does come? In verse 21, it says, Then the owner of the house ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys in the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, you'll notice that it doesn't use the term invite them in, and there's a cultural reason for that. It was if they had invited all of those people who were homeless and living on the streets, they would have declined the invitation because they know good and well they can't reciprocate. I can't go to your house. I have nothing to offer you. I could never invite you because I'm homeless. I don't have a place. And so I cannot come. And so the Lord said, don't invite them. You pick them up and you bring them to my house because I need them to know that they're not coming because of what they can give me back. They're coming because of my gracious hospitality toward them. And so the only way they could ever accept an invitation would be to be brought in. And Jesus says, you bring them because these are the people that are going to eat my feast. So what's Jesus saying? In conclusion, three quick things. Number one, home is found only in Jesus. Home is found only in Jesus. You see, home is the place where your hurts are healed. Home is where your batteries are recharged. Home is the place in our mind where we can finally find comfort. It's a place we long to be. And Jesus is saying, everything that you consider home to be is found in me. And more. When you found me, you found home. When you found me, you found peace. When you found me, you found joy. When you found me, you found everything that you need. I am more comfortable than your favorite pajamas and slippers. When you found me, you found it all. And he uses this in a juxtaposed way because he recognizes that even here when we have homes just the way we like them, they're still subject to floods and earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes and mold and bugs that can destroy it all. And he goes, in me, the home you find in me, will never have any of those things touch. Everything that you put your hope in here for home can't touch me. Because when you found me, you found home. And this is the table. This is the party. This is the fellowship that you've been looking for. And this is the one that he invites you to today. The feast of the kingdom of God. And your heart deep down inside, you long to be a part of it. And he says, you're welcome. Secondly, only the poor in spirit get in. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does poor in spirit mean? Well, there's, there's two kinds of people when it comes to God's salvation. There's the poor in spirit, and there's the middle class in spirit. And the middle class in spirit will say things like this to God. Okay, God, 
I'm not perfect, but I'm not terrible either. In fact, if you look in your ledger, you will discover that I've made some pretty significant deposits with my good works. Are you looking? God? You see that? I've got some stuff in the spiritual bank. And so it's not like I don't deserve anything because I'm all right. I've lived well enough that I deserve something from you as it relates to your banquet and your kingdom. But the poor in spirit said, Lord, I've done some bad things and I've done some good things and even my good things were done with bad motives. And as I stand before you, I recognize in my life just how worthless I am in my own righteousness. And I'm not ashamed or afraid to look you in the eyes and cry out, I need your grace completely because I've got nothing to bring to this dinner table. I'm one of those that you have to go out and get me because I can't bring you anything. Lord, be merciful to me because I need absolute grace. I also believe that this passage of Scripture does more than just hint that the church and individuals need to be at work actually ministering to the poor in their own communities. I believe it's very clear that we need to express and extend the hand of God to those in our communities who nobody else will extend the hand to. You see, middle-class people tend to be middle-class in spirit because... When they hear about the sacrifice that Jesus made for them and that he actually shed his blood on a cross and that by doing that, the justification of all their sins was placed upon him, they look at that and they go, that is so primitive that, that, that God would have to die for me. It's so primitive. It's really not too primitive. It's, they're too proud. It's a pride issue. I don't want to have to humble myself and call myself what I really am, which is a sinner, because accepting Jesus would be way too humbling for them, and maybe it's too humbling for you today. But in the end, the only ones who make it to the banqueting table are those who don't try to be their own savior. Those who just humble themselves and say, God, be merciful to me, because I'm a sinner. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come and let me conclude with this last point, and that's this. You can go to the feast because Jesus bought the ticket for you. You can go to the feast because Jesus bought the ticket for you. How can God give this away free? Remember I told you how expensive hospitality can be? Earlier we talked about the time that it requires and the emotional involvement and the expense from time to time. Well, I want you to think about this. Jesus Christ was in the greatest inner circle in the history of the universe. He was in the greatest party in history. It was called the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in complete unity together, complete harmony. It was the ultimate home. He had it all. But Jesus Christ, when he came to earth, did not come as a field buyer. He didn't come as an oxen owner. He didn't come as a married man. He came as a homeless man. 
fact, he stated, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was born in a stall and laid in an oxen feeder, not in a home. He was crucified outside of a city gate because he had no city that he could call home. He lived in the alleys and the streets. Why? Why did he do that? Because he was paying for our sins. Which means today when we accept his hospitality, it comes at a very high price. Hospitality for heaven is expensive. It costs Jesus everything. And the only way that he could bring you into the household of faith was by letting his father throw him out and live homeless among us so that we could be reached and we could be brought in. Stand with me, please, as the worship team leads us.
eyes for a moment. I believe that this is the most significant time that takes place on any given Lord's Day. I'm about to give an invitation that can literally change your eternity. And I believe that deep down inside, you're feeling the pulling of the Holy Spirit. It's called the convincing or the convicting power of God because He's trying to tell you that I love you so much, I'm not willing for you to stay in the condition you're in. I want to invite you into my home. And if you're here today and you're saying, I'm, I'm ready to accept that invitation to be part of Jesus' home, I'm just going to ask that you would raise your hand. Yes, ma'am. I agree with you. So I'm looking around this morning. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Are there others? Say, I'm ready to accept the invitation. Yes, sir, I see that hand. Are there others? Don't let this moment go by. Yes, sir, I see that hand and I agree with you. This is the moment of time. This is the invitation. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Today is the day of your salvation. Is this your moment? Because the God of hospitality is inviting you to the table to be part of the family. I'm going to ask that you would lift your heads and look at me for a moment. I'm going to ask our altar workers and our staff and our deacons if they would please come down and prepare themselves to minister. What is happening right now is called an answer to prayer. That people would enter into the house of the Lord. Some because they've been invited by friends. And, and God begins to do a work within them. And something transforms them. And they become loved by God. And they love God. Before I call for the altar response, I want to ask you, child of God. Is God asking you to expand your circle? Maybe you've been lonely in life and you go, man, I have been working so hard to find the right friends and I've been trying to get known by the right people and today God just kind of trashed that whole attitude in the Word. And so I'm just going to simply start just loving people and see who God wants to bring into my life that will be a benefit and I to them. And so I'm going to give him my friend circle. How many of you are willing to do that today? Just let God control the friend circle. See what he wants to do. That's pretty exciting because that's going to transform your lives when we begin to practice really gospel-centered hospitality. We pray in this church that we want to reach our community. You are the community. Everywhere you are is community. Next week we're going to be talking about living on mission, what that means. But today... There are those that have responded saying, I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to pray in just a moment, and we're going to close this section of the service. But here's what I'm going to ask. If you raised your hand today and you said, you know what, I'm, I want the invitation to the table. May I ask you to be bold enough since you raised your hand when nobody was looking? Can I ask you to be bold enough to be willing as we are concluding the service to come and have a conversation with one of our altar workers? We are prepared to lead you in what it means and everybody in this room has all come the same way we are all saved by grace none of us are better than anybody else and nobody will judge you here Jesus does the work we'll just love you but if you will take that step then we have people that we have been training to begin to walk with you what does it mean to take 
the beginning steps of being a Christ follower and we want to disciple you so that we don't just leave you out there to dry after you've made this decision because connections are really important to us here. So I'm going to ask that you would be bold enough to come as we conclude to take the next step in your journey with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have approached the topic of gospel hospitality, we see that your views of things and our views are so radically different. But we're not surprised because your views on everything are so different from what we're accustomed to. So here's what we ask. We're going to open our hands to our friend's circle. And like C.S. Lewis said, there are no coincidences with God. So I'm going to ask, Lord, that in your unique way that you will start to bring people into our lives and onto the borders of our lives that you desire for us to open the doors and invite strangers in because you're at work within their life too. Some of them may become great, great friends. Father, we desire to be obedient to you and we desire to see our community radically transformed by the grace of God and that's never going to happen by arguing. Rarely does it happen by preaching, but it will always happen by loving. So help us to love like you love. And for those that responded this morning, I ask, Father, that you would give them courage right now. That as we begin to conclude this portion of the service, that they would be so serious about the decision that they have just made that they would be willing to say, I'm going to talk to somebody about this because I want to live as a follower of Christ and be a part of what God's doing through his body. So give them courage right now to overcome the desire to run. Satan, I bind you in Jesus' name. I bind you in Jesus' name. This is God's house. And Lord, we seal this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Let's see what God's up to as we practice gospel hospitality. Lord bless you. Have a great week.